So uh, we are still breathing in and out, in and out, and that's how sometimes sex goes also, in and out. In and out. Get born, get die, get born, die, die, die. Well, okay, or live, live, live as long as you can in an amazing, fantastic, wonderful world. I mean, we don't have a choice. No, we are there. We are uh, dealing with our traumas and uh, especially now our sexual traumas. I don't know what to do anymore. So we started to look for sexual therapists working with sexual disorders or people having problems with the relationship, especially in free love relationships, something we in Fuck for Forest have been also working a lot with. Sadly, we did not have a therapist. That's why we ended up lonely, I guess. I don't know. It's many lonely people out there, uh, both in relationship and without. Then it's like, is it better to be alone uh, in calmness or be uh, with someone in drama or be not able to express how you actually feel about your sexuality or emotions at all uh, to avoid conflicts and fights? I prefer to be alone, I must say, then. Yeah, you and we are here kind of alone uh, in Mexico now and we hope and we hope that you are listening um, and we hope that you are listening to us. Y- yeah, well, <laughs> you are listening to us if you heard it that that's the paradox there, but if you listen to us and want to keep us alive and a little bit inspired, please uh, visit our collection account uh, the Patreon uh, website and uh, the other collection account we have to to give us a little bit of coins for us to have something to eat and be a little bit inspired. So if you want the bipolar circle to be strong and fat, even like if we are sexually frustrated and need to buy a prostitute or something like that, so we have some extra to just keep ourselves focused on a bright new future, then okay, please uh, go to our collection account. And now, welcome. Without uh, just like dying directly impulsively from manic depression now, I will try to go into myself and wait for uh, great advices that will change my life, I guess. Yeah, and welcome to Dr. Liz Powell. And uh, today it's the birthday of uh, free love and uh, sexual psychosis uh, therapy. Uh, She will help us, at least me. Welcome to Dr. Liz Powell and uh, happy birthday. Happy birthday! It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's a great day. continue talking okay still talking doing the talking thing talking 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 about stuff and things and things and stuff great that's uh, i think is more than enough like that talking at least let's hope we can have a real talk hello hello i'm fine okay okay welcome welcome to our birthday show today's your birthday or it's oh is it yeah, it, or it's maybe birthday for free love or freedom. Let's say sure. that that's the freedom birthday. Sure, sounds good. Can you present yourself a little bit to, to yeah. us and our listeners? Yeah, 
Yeah, so uh, my name is Dr. Liz Powell. I am a psychologist, author, speaker, and coach specializing in sexual and gender minorities. Uh, I wrote a book called Building Open Relationships, which is a practical hands-on guide for swinging polyamory and beyond, and has lots of like worksheets and checklists and stuff about how to actually do non-monogamy. Uh, and my uh, kind of catchphrase and belief about the world is that great sex can change the world. I have decided something. What have you decided? I have decided that. When we're born, we have a mommy and daddy, right? And then when we grow up and get married, we have children of our own. And then our children grow up and get married and have children. And so on and so on. So it's very important and very fun also to... Wow, and you you really believe that? That's great sex? Because we uh, was part of this project called fuckforforest.org for 15 years almost now, where we kind of were living on that uh, idea or that philosophy of thinking that great sex can save the world. But then we also realized that sex has to do with relationships or, or intimate contact with other human beings. That somehow makes it more complicated again. Many times in... The, in that uh, idea about free love or how much freedom to give each other or how to communicate in a way that both parts feel respected and safe. So yeah. so it's suddenly more like complicated uh, if, we can, if we are so egocentric and only like need stuff from our partner all the time. That, that is cute in many, in many situations, but it can also be very difficult to save the world if we already are fighting each other and fighting the people we should love. Well, I mean, part of why I chose the phrase great sex can change the world is not because it's just about the sex. Like, yes, I think folks would be a lot happier if they were able to have the kinds of sex that they want. But the skills that you need to have great sex are the same skills that make you a better person, a better friend, a better family member, a better citizen. It's about knowing your own boundaries, knowing your limits. It's about vulnerability and honesty. It's about communication. And those are all part of what makes us better people within this world. Great sex is hard to have if you're having it at someone else's expense. Great sex is hard to have if you're not honest about who you are and what you want. And so all of those components that go into helping us have great sex are also the same things we need in order to be good co-workers, good friends, good family members to each other. Well, I think you can have great sex with somebody you don't really connect to, but usually it just lasts for a very short time. I think that when I think back on like the great sex that I've had, or if we look at the research on like great sex or people who report having great sex, I think you can have pretty good sex with someone that you're not connected with. But I think that when we're having like great, great sex, that necessarily requires an amount of vulnerability and communication that creates a, a kind of connection. That connection may not come with expectations in terms of what our relationship is gonna look like or how long we're going to be in relationship with each other, but it's hard to have great sex if you can't tell someone what you want or tell someone what's not working for you. It's hard to have great sex if you're trying to be what they want you to be rather than being yourself. And I think that that's what this really gets at is that we can have pretty good sex in a lot of different ways that don't require those same skills or those same choices, but really great sex, we have to show up differently for it. Yeah, but uh, I, I, 
Maybe I never had great sex. Now I'm confused about that uh, because uh, doing working with erotic uh, material or working with the subject of free love for so many years that we uh, did, uh, I can see my sexual experiences uh, against each other. And I, I, I usually had very long relationships. Uh, actually, me and Leona have been together since before we started Fuck for Forest. And we still have a kind of more like, uh, we live together, we have a more like brother-sister relationship. We're not saying that we never will have sex again, but right now we are kind of more happy when uh, when I see her happy with someone else. It makes me happy, and she is the same with me. And we have no like attachment to to feeling that we will lose each other because we're so deeply connected w with each other. But at the same time, like uh, I I had some really great sex. I, maybe it's about the kink. Because maybe I was like attracted to this because of Fuck for Forest, saving nature and having fun with my sexuality and all the time like meeting new people, exchanging ideas about sexuality or exchanging this sexuality uh, was kind of, uh, I got a kick out of this like experience, like reading a new book or watching a new movie or something because we were studying the subject of sexuality. So I think I was able to have some, I thought I had some great sex there but maybe it's true because it's another type of sex because like sexuality sometimes is about tension also no and many times in sure. relationships when you are together for too long time maybe the tension stop being so strong the attraction goes away possibly i mean i think when i heard you talking about these things that made that sex great for you it was about you were diving into things that were interesting that you were sharing with people you were exploring you were trying out new things. And that is that communication and vulnerability and connection that doesn't necessarily have to happen in a particular kind of relationship structure. I think when I think about great sex, if you're being real about who you are and showing up to that person, that is the same kind of vulnerability. You don't have to be in a lifelong partnership with someone to be vulnerable with them or honest with them or intimate with them. Intimacy, I think, is not the same thing as expectation or longevity. And I, when I hear you talk about this like tension or the like push and pull of relationships, Esther Perel talks about that a lot in Mating in Captivity, that for a lot of folks, if there's not a distance to cover, it's hard for desire to, to happen. Like we can't want what we already have in some ways. But when we look at the research on folks who have great sex, uh, Peggy Kleinplatz and her uh, associates did research on folks who have great sex, and many of them had been married for over three decades and were still having great sex. It just looked different than it did when they were first seeing each other or when they were in other phases of their relationship. So the great sex that they were having might be they have sex once a week, but it's really connected and with each other and tuned in and they take their time and they spend the time with each other. Or a lot of those couples that they surveyed who have great sex were also non-monogamous. So they were also playing with other people. And I think that when we try to define like how great sex is supposed to look or what kind of relationship in which great sex is supposed to happen, we end up missing out on a lot of like what this key is, which is that it's about, are you showing up as who you are? Are you meeting those people where they're at? Are we, are we being honest? Are we setting our boundaries? Are we being open to new experiences? That's what creates that environment. 
I think what made me safe actually a little bit or what was the safety or what was the closeness. We, we, we were kind of a group of friends and since I had all the time this friendship uh, and erotic relationship to, to, to Leona, I always felt that the free love part of our relationship was somehow that to to get that kind of uh, excitement that is with something new out. And I, I saw sexuality as having like different offers. Like you have this really deep connection. You have this like kick of like the excitement or so, so new, you know, like never seen this person naked, never touched this person. How would they react? All this, uh, ten that's like a positive tension about like excitement about the new. But I uh, so, so I many times felt like when I was in a relationship, when I had someone that, uh, that I was within a free love relationship, I many times didn't feel like I needed to hunt new people so much because it was more about my feeling of not feeling trapped in a relationship with some kind of a new mother or something that tells me what to do or not. And that makes me feel like safe and calm in the relationship that made me not really search so much. But when I felt like the sexuality between us was getting a little bit boring or not so... Is not having that type of energy anymore, it really helped me to, to make love to another person and have that other experience. And then when I made love to the people close to me, that, like Leona again, for example, I would feel much more excited again, just for, yeah. from the feeling of not being stuck. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm someone who, part of how sexuality works for me is I do best when I have some amount of variety. Uh, when it's the same thing all the time, I, you know, I have ADHD. My brain doesn't process dopamine the way that a lot of people's brains do. Oh, welcome to and the ADHD so club because that's uh, a little bit of our uh, insanity connection to this reality also. Yeah, absolutely. Too. Well, and I, I'm currently writing a book with a friend of mine about ADHD and sex and relationships. And we have a survey actually that we're asking folks who have ADHD to take to give us an idea about their experiences of sex and relationships. So I'll shoot you that link after we finish recording. Yeah, please. Um, but I think that, you know, for those of us who know that we need some variety, when we don't get it, it's, it's harder to find our desire and our excitement for the people that we're already comfortable with, even if in general, we have like more predictably great experiences with our comfortable people. It is the 30th of December, 2020. It is when the date of this podcast got released. And according to sunscience.org, it's the zodiac sign of the Capricorn on the 30th of December. The horoscope predicts that you are living the good life. You deserve it as you work hard for your position and status. You remain focused. The December 13th birthday personality is sensible and ready to make compromises to get what they want. They know what it means to keep diplomatic relations. But what about the sex? I want to know about the sex. Who can fuck who? So it's the Capricorn. The Capricorn are compatible with the sign of Taurus. This is a match based on solid foundation. And be aware, you are not compatible with people born under the zodiac sign Gemini. This relationship will need a lot of effort and compromise. And your lucky number as a Capricorn is number three and six. So be aware, if your relationship is on the brink of destruction and your partner is Gemini, you know the reason. You were never meant to be. I think that for some of us, the variety is what kind of like unlocks the desire 
that as soon as there's something to unlock it, it's easier to direct in other places. But when there's not enough variety, it kind of shuts back down and it's harder to find that desire again. For me, that's very much my experience of it is if I haven't had some variety in a while, I've, I've kind of experienced what there is over here and I'm bored because my brain gets bored with things more quickly. And so if I have some variety, then all of a sudden, even the stuff that was boring before is now much more interesting because there's new context and information and experience to put it with. But it says on your page that you are ethical about it. What does this ethical mean? So ethical non-monogamy, basically, so I practice polyamory which is the uh, practice or the openness to having multiple loving relationships with the full knowledge and consent of all involved. Um, Ethical non-monogamy as like an umbrella term was created to distinguish it from things like cheating, where people are breaking monogamous commitments without the knowledge of their partner. Whereas ethical non-monogamy is about having multiple sexual partners within the context of relationships but where everybody knows what's happening and has consented to it happening. I mean, that sounds logical, no? I don't, if you're not honest, you're kind of cheating, no? Cheating yes, is- absolutely. It's more like you're not being honest to the people around you. You're playing, you're playing a game that is not honest or truthful. Yeah. And it's, cheating is terrible to do. And people do it for a whole host of reasons. Research shows that about half of people are unfaithful in relationships at some point or another, particularly in monogamous ones. Uh, And at least here in the United States, people's definition of what constitutes cheating can be really messy and different. Uh, So some people would consider having a fantasy about someone else to be cheating. Some people might consider watching pornography to be cheating. Some people would consider having a close friendship who's the same gender as your partner to be cheating. So there's a huge range of things that people might lump into cheating uh, under this monogamy umbrella. So when people are non-monogamous, a lot of times what that forces us to do is have more conversations about what is okay, what isn't okay, what are we consenting to, what are we not consenting to, where, especially here in the States, a lot of people who are monogamous just assume that their partner thinks the same things are cheating that they do, even if those are completely different definitions. It's like uh, cheating uh, can also be this this idea about uh, being jealous or feeling like, okay, you talked to another woman or another man or another person that I feel challenged by, and I will use my that love you have for me to, as an emotional kind of uh, manipulation to make you... D- do something else or even lie to satisfy my needs how far because as you say there's different levels how people say that they feel cheated on but there's also people also don't tell the truth no or they say many because i've seen with especially with us that is representing free love and things like this that many people are fascinated by our philosophy and our ideas and they want to get in contact with that kind of way of thinking but to think something and to act and to feel something or to have it in theory is very very different so what do you do then when because maybe i got into a relationship with a person that i i learned to love and this person has a good intention, want to be free, want to let me free, but they can't handle it. Uh, they, I see this person get more and more sad. They can't handle my way of life, even if I was 100% honest from the beginning. What, what is your advice in a situation like that? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's several parts here. One is uh, jealousy in general. Uh, we treat jealousy as an emotion very differently than we treat almost any other feeling. Like if someone feels sad, we wouldn't say uh, you can never do anything that would ever possibly make your partner feel sad. We would say like, be aware of how your actions are going to impact your partner. And if it's going to make them sad, like consider that. But we wouldn't say you can never do this whole entire list of things because your partner might possibly be sad about it. Jealousy we treat like it is this be all end all of emotions. There's nothing that we can do to like figure it out or be different about it that like we just are jealous. And once jealousy happens, the other person has to change to make our jealousy better. And I don't think that that's fair. And I don't think that that's realistic. Uh, jealousy, like any other feeling is something that we can learn to either encourage in ourselves and build up or something that we can learn to evaluate and unpack and figure out like what it's about. Because a lot of our jealousy is about things we're not getting from the partner or it's about uh, fears that we have or our own insecurities or uh, feeling like we're not stable in the relationship. And asking our partner to do less in order to fix that jealousy isn't necessarily going to address any of those underlying causes. And so I think that a lot of what I talk about when it comes to jealousy is like, how do we get to what's happening there? Like what it is that that jealousy is about and what it's trying to get for you and then figure out what to do about it after that part, rather than just saying, I feel jealous, stop doing things. Uh, or I feel jealous, I'm just going to feel jealous forever, so do whatever you want. I think we need to be better about being honest about our feelings and also taking time to understand like why they're happening. And then like for your question about like if your partner keeps being miserable while you're hooking up with other people, uh, I think that there's a lot of different ways to handle that. For me personally, if my partner seems to be unhappy with what's making me happy, I wanna just sit down and talk with them about that because I don't wanna be in a relationship where me doing what is right for me ends up making my partner miserable. That might be something where we need to have a conversation about like what their needs are that aren't getting met or where we need to have a conversation about like how I can communicate with them differently or we might not be the right fit and we need to just let each other find someone who's a better fit because I don't want relationships with me to be about creating misery. I want us to bring joy to each other and love for each other. Yeah, but we also want to educate each other or like it's someone's needs a different process. I guess it's very, a very individual question depending on very individually on the people and what kind of situation it is. Uh, because I also got to the conclusion that sometimes it's actually better to let go and that you're not fitting together. But it's like jealousy is like a mix of complicated emotions that that actually is a very big problem in our society. Uh, uh, affectional killings is one, one of the number one uh, murder rate in the world of like people killing each other because of being feeling emotionally hurted or feeling jealous about their partner. And... Uh, it's why the society, because it feels sometimes that society is like a kind of accepted emotion. It's like an emotion that society very often don't deal with. You are allowed to feel like this. You are allowed to feel so betrayed, so emotionally upset about things that I would say would be details if you would communicate in a good way. And then society just 
accept that as being something natural in the humankind, something I have seen is not true because I've been living with native tribes in the Amazon jungle that has a different relationship to family and to relationships. And because they have that in their program, they don't experience jealousy as the westernized world are doing today. Do you have any ideas about why jealousy has become so explosive? I mean, I think that part of it is that we don't have good emotional language a lot of times to talk about what the feeling is. And I also think that it's a, an issue of, we haven't taken the time to piece apart the difference between the feeling you experience and the decisions you make because of it, right? So like you can feel whatever feeling comes up for you. You can feel as much jealousy as you want. You don't get a pass to take that jealousy out on someone to use that feeling to control someone else's behavior or to punish them or to harm them because of it. I think that we need to do a better job of separating out like what the feeling is and what the actions are so that we can make it clear like where the decision points are. Most folks, again, particularly in the cultures that I've been in, there is this strong conflation of your feeling and your choices that like, I feel jealous, so I have to act out. There's no step of, I feel jealous, let me sit with this feeling and then make a decision about what to do about it. And I think that that's true of a lot of different feelings. And I think, again, particularly in the States, the way that we socialize folks, uh, in particular those we treat as boys and men, is to not understand their feelings, not pay attention to their feelings, not talk about their feelings. And a lot of folks socialized as men only know anger or turned on or happy. <laughs> and and that's it. That's what they get. And so when a situation comes up and they have feeling, it has to be one of those. And if it's not happy or turned on, then it has to be angry. And angry feels bad if you hold it yourself. It's easier to take it out on someone else. So I think a lot of this comes from a lack of emotional intelligence, a lack of understanding about what feelings are, how to be in relationship with our feelings, how to slow down the process between feeling and action so that we can make decisions about it. And also, we don't teach people to respect each other's autonomy. We live in cultures that are not about reinforcing individual autonomy or reinforcing people's ability to make their own decisions. We live in cultures that are about getting other people to do what we want them to. I think capitalism is a big driving force in that, that capitalism is about getting something from others and so we learned that relationally as well that we try to get people to do the things that will meet our needs rather than offering them a variety of experiences with we can engage together and i think so long as our frameworks are so rooted in what can i get from you how can i do things from you it's going to be hard to respect that someone can make a decision that i feel jealous about and that i don't like and that doesn't mean that they were wrong, and it doesn't mean that I get to make them do something different. Jealousy, passion, fire, need, confirmation, riddles, psychology, emotions, a ride with the devil, a dive into your subconsciousness about your fears and limitations, a road to self-destruction. You feel alone, trapped, all alone in the darkness, you feel sad about what you cannot have? Jealousy can guide you, make you throw away your importance and embrace the nothingness. Thank you, Jealousy. 
No, I think, yeah, it's like jealousy as opposed to guide you and not control you. I always saw like feelings as my own like private spiritual Bible or something, something that teached me something about my limitations and my fear or my my illusions. And then, but then I also see that we are like a group animal. We are kind of a tribal animal. I saw many of these tribes that I saw that had more kind of like a good communication or a different communication about sexuality also didn't have the fair element of losing each other. Because now I see like people are together in a, in a relationship and they work with totally different things. If they lose that kind of intimate part of their relationship, it seems like they get dragged apart totally because they're not sharing anything. While in these tribal communities, for example, if you are a woman and you got pregnant and your wife and your husband was an asshole anyway, the tribe will be there uh, taking care of you and taking care of everyone. So people hadn't that personal fair of being left alone. And uh, there's this, in, we live in a very individualized society, but I also yeah. think we are human beings. We are a type of animal that have certain uh, similarities, a lot of similarities, what we are searching for, what will make us feel completed in the right situation. And I don't think the modern society provide that to people. So people feel so disconnected and lost. So they put all that tribal feeling of safety on their partner. And that's a very hard mission to have to be responsible for this person's happiness. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think that's in a lot of ways an outcropping of capitalism, right? Capitalism creates isolation between all of us so that we try to buy things to not feel so isolated and alone rather than creating spaces where we get to be in community with each other. We, I think that there is a challenge within all of our societies to figure out what a good balance is between autonomy, which is our ability to make decisions for our own selves and healthy interdependence most Western societies have gone really strongly into this individualistic frame, which I still don't think is necessarily the same as autonomy focused, because it's about me, myself only at the cost of others, rather than autonomy is about me and what I control, recognizing that others have control. Um, there are also cultures, particularly uh, like Japanese culture, other Eastern cultures that are highly uh, communal focused cultures where that autonomy is lost to some degree, where people don't have as many choices about what to do for themselves. And there are arguments about whether that is also a problem. Uh, and I think that it's this balance of interdependence that gives us space and community that acknowledges that none of us are as alone as we think we are, uh, that prevents us from needing to fill that hole with consumer goods and autonomy to be able to make the choices that are right for us, even if they aren't what our group wants. But we live in the age of the ego somehow, something you can see about that is so many children starving on the street while rich people still try to make themselves the, have the possibility to give birth even if they're not fertile. And instead of just adopting, because we got to this point where ownership over, over your partner or even your children is somehow like being uh, programmed into the human consciousness. That, uh, uh, that is, how do we break this? How do we get back to a point where we, where we are happy for the person we love doing what they want. Because I see the same happen with children that happens in relationships sometimes that the parents want or force their child to go to a school they don't want or do education that is not, they are not made for doing by, by, by nature. And uh, that's the same with the relationship, like trying to turn, uh, how can we stop people to try to turn other people into what they want to see? I mean, I think 
again, a lot of this has to do with this emotional intelligence education, right? And recognizing why it is that we're trying to get other people to do things for us. Parents who have very particular plans for their kids are trying to get some kind of emotional need filled through what that child does. They often don't recognize that that's what they're doing. And the, the processes that create the biggest problems for us are the ones that operate kind of like in the dark or in the background. When we acknowledge what's happening, then we actually have to start taking responsibility and accountability for our choices about it. If we sit down and recognize, I'm expecting my kid to go to this kind of school because that will make me feel better about myself, it's much harder to continue down that path than if you're saying, of course, this kid has to go to that school. That's what we do. I think that there's an element of getting to know ourselves and acknowledging what's happening for our own selves emotionally when we consider different outcomes or possibilities that's essential to letting go of this need to control. We have to face that for almost all of us, almost all of the time, any control that we think we have is an illusion. And a lot of the safety that we're trying to find through forcing others to do what we want is an illusion as well. We create hostage situations rather than relationships. So I have another question. You said that you're doing therapy and coaching for minority groups. What is sexual mean? and gender minorities? Yeah, primarily. So uh, I work with folks who are uh, queer and trans and non-binary and kinky and non-monogamous. So people who are in these groups that are not the mainstream cis hetero patriarchal kind of stuff. Uh, I also do a lot of work with folks who are other kinds of minorities, so people who are disabled in various ways or people who are of uh, minority ethnic groups. Uh, my practice is very much oriented towards making therapy affordable for whoever needs it uh, and providing a framework that understands how societal structures of oppression and privilege impact our lives and what we're doing. A lot of therapists, unfortunately, are from this very individualistic set of beliefs, which is about like, I work with the person and their problems are, but we have to recognize how larger societal structures play into those things as well. I'm not even sure that human couples are meant to live together. Is there any research made on this? I mean, in nature, animal couples are not living in a small flat together, fighting over the dishes. You you seem like a pretty open-minded woman, and uh, I see that you you are a veteran from the military. Yeah, I was in the army for five years. Wow, where? So uh, I was stationed initially in Hawaii, and then I did a tour in Afghanistan, and then I was stationed in Georgia, the state of Georgia. So so that was how you started your sexual uh, your your education about sexuality and sexual psychi psychology, was that after uh, your military training? Because I saw that you did something like uh, sex and vets. Yeah, so kind of bits of both. Uh, I, before going into the military, was already out as bisexual and kinky and I was non-monogamous. Uh, and so when I went into graduate school, I wanted to focus on those kinds of topics in the work that I did as a therapist. Uh, but while I was in graduate school, um, you know, the United States school is really expensive and my then husband and I were struggling a lot financially. And so I took a scholarship through the army in order to cover my graduate education and get a guaranteed job when I got out of my coursework. How was it to be like a queer woman, a bisexual woman in the military? It was interesting. Um, 
when I first went on active duty in 2010, don't ask, don't tell was still in place. Um, so I couldn't like, I, what is that? Explain us I'm, a little bit about that because we're, we're Scandinavians. Sure. We're not Americans. So we are a little bit like misinformed uh, yeah. about stuff. So, uh, don't ask, don't tell was a policy in the military in the United States where, uh, instead of banning queer people from being in the military, you could not tell anyone that you were queer and no one could ask that you were queer. If it came to light that you were queer, you would be <laughs> discharged from the military. Oh, really? I never heard about this. This was that's pretty offensive. It's not like that anymore. So it's not like that anymore about uh, sexuality. Uh, the Trump administration has been really terrible about transgender folks in the military. So shortly before Trump was elected, there were actually some really positive movements in the military towards including transgender folks and supporting them in transitioning while they were still active duty. But the Trump administration is awful. And so they immediately tried to roll back all of those things uh, and made it a much more complicated environment for folks who are trans or uh, not cisgender in the military. Um, that was like, I, I don't know, I'm a little bit old school, old fashioned, and I always felt like the gay movement and, uh, and the trans, uh, trans movement and stuff was this rebel movement that was like peace loving, anti-military. I don't know if I, <laughs> maybe I'm anti-transgender uh, in the military also, or maybe it would be gather, better to get some more color and some more like fun into the military and there would be less war, maybe. Yeah, I mean, so... The statistics in the states, at least in the US, are that veterans are twice as likely to be transgender as people who never served. Uh, so it is actually fairly common. What? Really? It's, it's, a, it's a research on that? Huh? It's a research on that, that uh, yeah. veterans uh, have, oh. have a tendency oh. to uh, want to change gender after military service? Well, so the research on the prevalence of transgender folks among veterans was done before it was legal to be trans while in the military. Uh, so it is only really within the last 10 years or so that people have been able to transition at all while on active duty. But the Veterans Administration system, the VA system here, has a lot of folks who are transgender who they handle their transition care. Uh, for a lot of veterans, the VA is their primary access to health care. So there are transition uh, or trans specific centers throughout the VA all over the country. Really? Uh, it's not about yeah. that you are like getting into the military to a few women, you decide, okay, that ass is probably feels good also. And you try to fuck a guy and then you feel like some gay fear and you're like, oh shit, maybe I'm just a woman and it's better to handle that and admit that I actually had sex with a guy. I don't think that's what it is. I think that there are a lot of reasons that there might be greater prevalence among veterans uh, for being trans in the States. One of them is that uh, accessing healthcare in the United States is really, really expensive. So if you're a veteran, you might have more access to transgender healthcare than people who aren't. Uh, here in the States, it is not uncommon for people to pay $500 a month for health insurance that covers almost nothing that has like an out of pocket maximum for the year of $10,000. So, so that's how you get cool people into the military in other countries. Also, if you listen to this, uh, then uh, yeah, give more education and stuff in the military and uh, cut it down in all other places. And then you will get all the cool freaky people also to go there to get their education. That's a smart, uh, smart move, no? Well, but you oh. have to go to war, no? Uh, I, I went to Afghanistan. I deployed for nine months. Whoa. Um, I deployed as a psychologist. So I think 
One of the biggest misconceptions that folks have about what it's like to be in the military is that everyone is like a frontline soldier out there kicking indoors and stuff. Uh, I deployed as part of a combat stress team. So we were located on one post and traveled around to other posts to make sure that people meet me and know who their provider for their area was. Uh, all of the different smaller posts had video chat stations so that they could reach me at any time if they needed to. But most of my time I spent in a clinic hanging out with my techs and seeing clients. Uh, occasionally there were bomb drills and we had to like go to the bunker, but it was in some ways a much easier life than being here in the States. And did you have sex with military guys in the bunker and stuff like while bombs were falling? <laughs> I, if I was in a situation like that, I had to try to fuck in you know, like some kind of big invasion or something like totally abstract, not to get that on my resume of cool places to make love. Do they ever make love to, to, to people in the military? I don't know that I would say I made love. Um, it's pretty common for folks to have sex while they're deployed, even though it is technically not allowed. Uh, general order number one was in effect when I deployed, which meant no sex nor pornography, nothing. I think that's just because I saw like the, the Muslim side of the war is like they have I read somewhere they have sexual holy warriors. That means like uh, the girls are not allowed to have sex outside marriage and stuff like they're very suppressed and fucked up. But, but, but then in war situations, they have like a special group of uh, women that goes and fucks the soldiers. So that's like keeping the fighting spirit up. Then I'm like, oh, that's why they are like more like willing to die for their war they have that in the background so maybe maybe it's the, the it should be more sex in the military or you or you understand that it should not be sex like like sex I, makes peace or i mean i think that the the reason general order number one was in effect was to be respectful to uh the folks who whose land we were occupying right and so it was a lot about uh, trying to adhere to ideas about what is okay. So like alcohol was also not allowed so not for like, us while we were deployed. Not fuck on the cemetery kind of. Uh, yeah, kind of. And so I think that in general, the military has a lot of work to do to understand sexual consent and how it happens and how it works and to empower people to make better choices about sex. The military for the United States at least, uh, it's a very conservative organization in a lot of ways. They have very old school ideas about sex, about relationships. Uh, adultery is a crime. You can go what? to prison for adultery. Adultery, what, what? Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so like, I'm a little bit perverted, so I don't know what adultery is, at least out of American standards, like North, North America, Estados Unidos, the United States of America standards. What is that? Well, for the military, for the Uniform Code of Military Justice, if you are married and you have sex with anyone who is not your spouse, or if you have sex with someone who is married and you are not their spouse, that is considered adultery. Oh, uh, then I want to catch something right there. And that's the back to the free love that you are working with. And uh, I've written a book about how to become better in that art of, uh, of uh, polo amorous lifestyle. And then I'm like, how can we... Uh, break this through in society when love has been seen as a contract between two people. Uh, I, I'm not so into marriage myself, but sometimes I see the point of the gay community want to get the same right as marriage as some kind of like statement. And I think when we are not allowed to marry more than one person, 
most places in the world it would be forbidden and considered a, 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 a big offense. And that's mm. like saying that we can't love who we want. That's like saying like, okay, what, but what if I have this uh, philosophy that I can love more than one person and I do love two people and then I want to marry and then society is going to force me to choose or even if all three of us are totally consenting, all three of us love each other and want to live in a family together. So society is is dictating to us what family is. Yeah. Uh, the, the involvement of the state in relationships is complicated. Uh, if I could have like my way, if I could like wave a magic wand uh, and we were still going to have the state at all involved in partnership, I would instead move for a model that is about specific partnership agreements, right? Like we're making a co-parenting agreement for 18 years. Here's what our co-parenting agreement is. We are making a sharing finances agreement. Here's what the sharing finances agreement is. Here we're making a cohabitation agreement. Um, the reason that marriage rights are fought for so hard is because right now marriage is the easy way to establish things like co-parenting, finance sharing, cohabitation, uh, all of those different aspects that I think would be better served by specific contracts that aren't bound to one single person. Just because you co-parent really well with someone doesn't mean you want to live with them, doesn't mean you want to share finances with them. I think that it would be great if we could break up what we lump under this marriage umbrella into other component parts and let people build their own ideas of what those contracts look like. Uh, but we don't get to choose that, unfortunately, I always, uh, right now, at least. Yeah, well, I always thought it was like even deeper than that because I see it somehow making a, a disconnection between people. And I was thinking that I had something to do with organized religion or something that the the Catholic Church, for example, that was the Rome that is called the Roman Catholic Church. That is basically a leftover of the Roman Empire, found out that spirituality was uh, so difficult to control. So they made the church part of the state. And in that state, to make this idea about partnership in this holy union of man and woman together would break people up as a tribal community. They would break people up even more and it's a kind of like uh, fragment them into small groups where they will fight each other. Like if neighbors will uh, uh, be on the same side until uh, maybe neighbor has a better car than you or a bigger, nicer house or more beautiful wife or whatever. And you already start to make conflicts there between people that live so close to you. And I, I've started to feel like, I don't know if it's true or not, but I felt like all the time that it was some kind of a manipulation because it's not in the culture of humanity to be monogam. That's a, a kind of a, uh, it's many times connected to religion and religious stigmas that makes people monogam while people inside feel that they want to have a deeper connection to other people. And that's why prostitution is so big also. Many people lie to each other, especially guys are allowed to, 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 to talk about it at least more openly, but also women are being unfaithful or going behind their back uh, of their partner, lying instead of trying to create actually a unity between each other. It's again the same as children, because I know, because my mother was very liberal. So she never put the pressure on me and that made me exp express everything to her. Even though oh, I started to smoke some weed, okay, I did this, I did that. And she was always just there for me. And that made me actually be honest to her while like creating some kind of fear of, of being judged or getting a big drama makes people lie. And the sexual energy is so strong that if, for example, you have a relationship and the sexual energy goes down a little bit 
it's so easy to start to lie to your partner and get a, a, a side affair and you actually live. I see that people have a f a fake polyamorous relationships. That means that they go behind each other's back or they have serial uh, polyamorous relationships. I talked to some some very open-minded people on a nude beach here in Mexico and they were in a relationship and they've been together for one year and they're monogam and I'm like, yeah, okay, this you are happy together? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, okay, imagine in 15 years, uh, you can imagine yourself not having sex with anyone else for the rest of your life. And the person, I mean, they get really weird about that question. And then they are confused about it because they know that that's really difficult, you know? So that's already programmed into the relationship that we, when we start to get sexual problems, then it's not so hot anymore. We have to leave each other for another person. And that's so sad if you actually love a person that you have to leave someone uh, uh, out of your life just because you feel an attraction to other people. An attraction is not so deep as a spiritual or emotional r relationship that you build up over time with a person. For, for example, that I have, have with Leona. I can't go out on the street and find another Leona, but I can go out on the street and find someone I feel uh, attracted to. So sure. it's so sad to see that people that actually fits each other so good are breaking up because of stigmatization of how people think like sex is relationships and it's not. Sexual attraction and deep relationship is very different from each other, just like I don't want to fuck my mother, but I love her more than anything in my life. The year 2020 is over. This year, the country with most suicides was Greenland. So it's love is something different than sex. And when people mix that very powerful energy of sexuality together with emotional ideas, it can be pretty nasty, I think. And sure. but, you're, but you're like psychologist, licensed psychologist. psychologist. Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, and you're focused on non-traditional relationships. What do you put in non-traditional relationships? So in this case, that just is a shorthand again for folks who are kinky, non-monogamous, queer, basically not doing the standard husband, wife, two kids and a dog kind of thing. So it's non-traditional to Western values. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, <clears throat> how do you solve the problem that the therapy sometimes can be very expensive? So the way that I do pricing for all of my services is I have my my full rate, which is a very a fairly high rate, and everyone who wants to see me lets me know what rate that they can pay. So my full rate currently is four hundred dollars per session. But I have folks who see me all the way from $400 per session, all the way down to $50 a session, sometimes even less. Uh, and I just let people tell me what for them is the rate that they can afford. The reason my rate, my full rate is as high as it is, is because if there are folks who have a lot of financial means, who have really good income or have a lot of resources, having them pay more makes it easy for other people to pay less. So it helps balance everything out. So it's more like an exchange, what you can give and what you can't give. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my classes right now, I'm working at all of my online classes are currently on a platform that doesn't offer that kind of flexibility in pricing. So I'm moving them to my website where I can have all of my prices or all of my classes be priced as a pay what you can. So there'll be a suggested price and everybody gets to pay what feels reasonable to them for that course. So what kind of classes do you make? Uh, so right now, the classes that I have online, I have one that is a dirty talk class that's 
essentially about how to negotiate what you want using dirty talk. I need that. Um, I'm super bad talking dirty. I have so many girls that try it and feel embarrassed because I think my lim limit of what's dirty is different. I think I'm like sure. too fucked up. I'm like, okay, you want me to say what I think is dirty. Uh, I don't know. It's just different level. I get kind of performance anxiety for being, I don't know, saying the wrong thing or something. It's like yeah, that's it's, super normal. Something I talk about in the class is that like I'm a very awkward person in a lot of ways. I'm kind of like a muppet. Like I'm kind of goofy and weird. And if I try to be like cool and smooth, my dirty talk is going to be terrible. Whereas if I embrace who I am and just like tune into what feels really good for me and what gets me really hot, it's easier to dirty talk. Yeah, so, like one example, for example, is like I'm in. We're in Berlin making a video for Fuck for Forest, and I'm with a lover of mine. She's also working as an erotic masseuse. She's actually like a prostitute, kind of like a, a sex worker. But uh, we are friends, no? So we, she's friends with Fuck for Forest. I have some kind of like. A relationship to her. She likes dirty talks. So I have sex with her. They're filming. Leona's filming with some other friends in the room. And she's like, talk dirty to me. And I'm like, you're, you're a fucking whore or something like that. I said, and my friend is like, you can't say that she is that. And I was like, everything got really deep, very, very weird in the energy. And she's like, no, no, I like it. And the other girl was like, shit. I was like, what? Uh, that's not... That's like kind of offense in a way because is that something that she truly is? But I didn't have any problem. But I have no problem with prostitution in that way. Yeah. So for me, that's also about the values. If you say something that is offending someone, it's depending on on their view on the subject. Also, that's why I find it so difficult to dirty talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the class includes a worksheet that you can send to folks you want to dirty talk with, where you can both indicate what kind of words you like and what kind of words you don't like, so that it's easier to know like where that language is going to be. Uh, I also teach a class. I have an online class. Oh, no, it's not online yet, but I teach a class on humiliation play uh, and talking about like how to do that in a way that is ethical and informed by social justice and like understanding how to negotiate that effectively. Uh, Another of my online classes is called Your Erotic Voice, and it's about how to like really tune into your own eroticism and your own erotic self and then be able to communicate that with others. Uh, I have one called Declutter Your Dating Life, which takes the like Marie Kondo method for decluttering your house and applies it to all of your relationships. So your dating, your friendships, your family, really taking a look at like what is serving you and what's not. And then uh, the other class I have online right now is called Unfuck Your Polyamory, and that's with Kevin Patterson, who is the award-winning author of Love's Not Colorblind. And in that, we talk a lot about how to do polyamory in a way that centers the autonomy and consent and empowerment of everyone involved and helps you be as ethical as possible in your non-monogamy. So, how, how, so when people come to you, like a couple or someone from a couple or people that want to experience uh, the, the polyamorous lifestyle and they have problems with it. What is the most usual problems you get to, to, that you have to answer for? Uh, I, I think that a lot of it boils down to the things we don't say. So the boundaries we don't set, the things we don't ask for, the ways that we reject ourselves before someone else can reject us. Uh, I think a lot of us, because of the way that we are taught to be with each other, uh, aren't very good at knowing what we want, asking for it, asking other people what they want, 
figuring out where we fit with each other. There's a lot of trying to be who the other, who we think the other person wants us to be that ends up being super detrimental to relationships. Cause we don't tell them that something's a problem when it's first a problem. We wait until it's an enormous problem that has to be solved right now. Or we don't tell someone something's a boundary. When we first notice it being a boundary, we wait until it's so painful for us that it has to change right now. So I think a lot of it is about knowing who we are and what we want, communicating it openly, communicating early. So what time in your relationship? So if you meet somebody, you have a one-time stand and then you want to continue that relationship, what time should you start to talk about your ideas of your relationship? What do you want? Yeah, what because you need? starting on the first date, can be, oh, I like this and that and it can be a little bit like, uh, uh, maybe destroy that first moment. Uh, is, yeah, that's interesting. When do you start to talk about this? I mean, I think I would answer this question the same way I would answer the question of like, when do you start talking to kids about sex? And the answer is you start talking really early. You just change how you talk about it as it evolves, right? So for instance, like on a first date, I might be really clear with people that like, I'm not monogamous. I'm not going to be monogamous. If monogamy is really important to you, this is probably not going to work for us. Uh, also, I'm really slutty. I have sex with a lot of people. If that's going to be a problem for you, totally understandable. We're just not going to be a great fit. Uh, and I, I let them know kind of what are the early things that might be a problem for them so that they can opt out if they need to, because I would much rather that they opt out early on than wait longer. And then I think you continue rolling out other things. If there's something that you notice yourself not saying, it's time to talk about it. As soon as you're like, ah, oh, do I say this? Do I ask this? Should I message this? It's probably time to think about it and to think about what that conversation might look like. Uh, my book has a really good worksheet about how to have tough conversations that walks you through how to like determine what it is you want to talk about and where it's coming from. There's also a worksheet about like, what do I want to need from this relationship? So you can clarify what those wants and needs are before you start the conversation. Hey, I have, I have easy to talk about that I'm a free love person and things like this. But I think maybe when you talk about this now, I think I realize that I have a problem with talking about things that maybe could make my pleasure in sex even greater because I'm just afraid of saying like details, like how I want my dick sucked, how I want to get touched in a special way, like small details that could probably push my sex life up to higher. And I see that, okay, I have, I'm a pretty open-minded person. I'm not so afraid, but I see that I'm, Definitely not expressing myself clearly. What do you think, Leona? Are you good at expressing yourself? Again, it depends on the person I'm with. If I'm with a person that it's easy to talk to and I feel comfortable with, yeah, it's easier to speak about things like this. And if it's just a one night stand, maybe I wouldn't talk about all the details, but I would still say, okay, this is who I am and this is what I like, but maybe I would skip out some things. But then I want to One of my favorite things to do with like ongoing partners is to do uh, like play dates where for one date, uh, whoever is the person receiving only gets to receive what they directly ask for. So the giver will only do exactly what they ask for. And it's a really good way to work on finding your voice because your partner's not going to do anything for you until you ask for it. <laughs> And then you switch on the next date. You don't want to do it both in the same night because then it creates a weird like exchange feeling. But having a space where for an entire night you get exactly what you ask for, you also get only what you ask for. You're kind is of a really good direct, way to build that skill. You're kind of directing your night, your sex life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny. 
why 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 do people want to control each other in a relationship and stuff like that because i feel it's also like because i see in the punk movement i've been growing up in the left kind of punky movement we lived in berlin for a long time and we had a lot of punky people talking about anarchy and no no patriarchic ideas no control and then they control their partner how deep is this and how, how can we manage to to educate because i think it has connection with each other that is like, yeah. well, how can I point the finger at one type of control if I already reflect that in my personal relationship to the person I should protect and love? And how do I express that to people? That is like, liberation, anarchy, but if you do that, I will leave you forever. And it's, like, uh, it's a very complicated thing for me to see philosophically about the idea about freedom. Many times what sexuality and relationship represent towards people that fights for freedom, for example. Does it yeah. have anything to do with each other? I mean, I think, yes, that we're, again, the, the cultures that most of us are raised in, particularly in the West, are ones that are about coercion and control and about taking from others, not about empowerment and autonomy. Um, and I think also that it's a lot about scarcity, that when we look at how we all are taught to think about the world, we're taught about scarcity, that there's not enough people. You're gonna find the one for you. You better find that one. There's only one. Uh, that there's there's not enough people in the world. You have to find the one person and lock them down. And so there can be a lot of fear about giving people more freedom to express themselves and to do what they want because we're so locked into the idea that this one person has to be what we want them to be. I think when we diversify where we get our needs met from, it's easier to empower people to do what's best for them because we aren't so reliant on one person to be our everything. You know, Esther Perel in Mating in Captivity talks a lot about how in these days, a lot of people expect their partner to be their best friend and their business helper and their co-parent and their housekeeper and the person who they tell all their secrets to and their sexual partner and the person they love the most. Safety. And that's a lot of expectations on one person. It's way too much expectation on one person and it makes pressure and it makes uh, uh, you feel that that's the end of many relationships, this confusion of communication or how I feel like many relationships end because of bad sex or bad communication or many times a combination of those two? Um, I think that relationships end for the same reason that this pattern of control shows up, which is that I think a lot of us don't actually believe that we can just be honest about what we want and need and ask for it and we will get it and that that will work. And so we instead try to figure out ways to get what we want and need without having to like ask for it and be honest about it and open with it and to try to like lock that person into continuing to provide what we need from like backdoor methods the same way that we try to like get our kids to go the way we want them to or we try to get our co-workers to do the things we want them to we don't come to each other at this like very open negotiation table of like, what is this going to look like? We instead try to like scheme and connive each other into doing what we want. Um, I think there's also this element of when you take ownership for what you want and need, that's a much scarier position because if it's not that I'm not getting what I want and need because this person won't do the things I want them to, if it's I'm not getting what I want to need because I haven't asked for it, that feels way harder. Mm. I think most of us are trained to expect for others to mind read what we want or to believe the same things that we do or to act the way that we want them to without us having to ask for it. 
And then when they don't, we get to punish them for doing it wrong rather than taking responsibility for having never asked for it ourselves. It's better to ask for something and be a little bit embarrassed than doing something super embarrassing later that you will regret and make another person feel bad about also. So many times maybe it's better to ask one time too much than one time too little or... I would say that, you know, when you communicate, ask early when it's not this like huge consuming need and be honest about what your deal breakers are. I think a lot of us ask for something and the other person's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And we're like, that's fine. It's cool. It's great. No, no problem. It's fine. It's great. When it's not actually fine, when we're not actually okay with that. I think that we need to be clearer about for us what the stakes are uh, in a way that doesn't impede someone else's decision. So like, for instance, uh, if I'm hooking up with someone and they don't ever use barriers with any of their partners and they don't get tested for STIs regularly, I may not want to do many activities with them because the way that we approach sexual risk is different. Mm. They're not necessarily wrong. I just don't know that I want to accept the level of risk that they are bringing. And so like, can we communicate about sexual risk in a way that is about, here's what I need to feel good about taking different kinds of sexual risks. What do you need to feel good about taking different kinds of sexual risks? Where do we meet together? The problem here is the sexuality is kind of a sensitive subject for people. So it needs to be both being both asking and then you have to expect not expect but you have to hope that the other person actually answered truly yeah i mean i don't tend to have sex with people who i can't trust are being honest with me uh and there are a lot of things that i look for in terms of that honesty uh do they volunteer information or do i have to ask for them to give it do they tell me information that might be something that would uh for many people be a no for them like for instance uh, i get cold sores so i have oral herpes uh, and I let everybody know I have HSV-1, I have it orally, I haven't had an outbreak in a couple of years, but if you absolutely can't take any chance to get herpes, we shouldn't have sex. Uh, I just like make sure that I lay out there some stuff that might be a no for people so that it's really clear that I'm just going to be upfront about what's happening. Uh, and so people who do that similar kind of approach of saying like, yep, here's what I get tested for. I haven't been tested this long for this reason. Here's how I tend to handle sexuality with other people. I feel much more confident that they're being truthful with me than with folks who I have to ask a bunch of questions to try to get at what the information is. But you study psychiatry, so maybe you can see the signs because I know also like a lot of people will lie to get in the pants of someone. Sure, sure, people will. And, you know, I think that there is a, a set of choices that we all make. We are never going to know the whole truth for anything. And so given what you know of the person, given what you know of the situation, you make the decisions that feel good for you. If you don't know this person very well, so you don't have a very good basis for knowing whether they're being truthful with you, maybe you use more barriers or take more precautions than you would otherwise. Do you or maybe you're willing to take the risk and that's valid too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's like, you live dangerous if you want, but it's good to know about the danger you're doing. Freedom is just another word. Free will, freedom to move, to love, to have, to hate, freedom to think, to express, to fight for, to die for. Freedom is wonder, imagination, creativity, inspiration. What is not freedom? Not freedom exists. And when we die, do we die freely or do we get freed when we die? 
So, uh, but uh, in the you would say you work a lot with uh, transsexuals and gay people and people like uh, that is having a different relationship to sexuality. Mm-hmm. You feel in those scenes of. Uh, that uh, somehow has gone against the mainstream or against the moral stigmas of sexuality with their way of expressing themselves, you feel it's more uh, philosophy of free love in these environments? Or is it the same as with with the straight people? Uh, I think it depends. I think that there are a lot of gay and lesbian folks uh, or transgender folks who still stay very close to like cis heteropatriarchal norms in terms of how they do relationships and how they handle sexuality. Uh, And then there are folks who don't. Um, You know, I think one of the biggest drawbacks of the fight for gay marriage becoming such a big piece of gay activism is that it kind of accepted what a relationship is on the terms of the existing society rather than requiring that society examine those terms and norms. Um, People who are bisexual, pansexual, polysexual are more often folks who have really unpacked and examined those norms and approach sexuality differently. Uh, Some people who are gay or lesbian have. In the trend that I would say is that most like, more lesbians are conventional in terms of like wanting monogamy and wanting something very typically straight-esque than folks who are gay men. Uh, people who are transgender, some of them are straight, right? You can be transgender and be straight and they want a regular straight type of relationship. People who are non-binary tend to be less so. So like the farther you get from this kind of binaristic either or thinking, I think the less likely you're going to hew towards monogamy or social monogamy or those ideas. Um, And it just depends a lot on like where you are and which portion of that community you're a part of. Like, how is your relationship to monogamy, really? Are you a monogamy hater or frustrated monogamy philosopher? Or I believe that monogamy is a controlling structure in itself. I'm happy if people are happy in a monogamy relationship. I'm not going to judge them then. But I see so many people not being happy in a monogamy relationship. And I see a lot of the people being happy in a monogamy relationship as many times like our grandfather's generation or something when they didn't have any other choice, kind of. So I'm like, uh, is monogam actually, is monogam actually natural for the human race at all? Does it lead to more conflicts than uh, than solutions? Or or is it just about the personal freedom to feel good in uh, loving in the way you want? I I think for me, the question of whether it's natural is not particularly helpful. you know, we're talking on the internet. That's not natural. Antibiotics are yes, natural. Yes, it is. There's everything stuff that everything is natural. I, like, I would just want to reform that then because I believe everything in that is natural. I believe computers are natural also. It's just a reformation of nature. I didn't mean it in uh, that way. Uh, okay, if it's mentally more better for humanity, like in a mental sane, in a sexual health kind of way, to work towards a point of making the society less monogam. I, I think that, you know, my my thought on monogamy is monogamy works great for some people and that's a great fit for them. I don't like personally on an emotional level understand monogamy for my life, uh, but I know some folks who are just monogamous. Like that's, they've tried to be polyamorous. They believe all the ideas about it. It just doesn't work. That's just not how they are. When they're in love with someone, that's just where they're at. And that's all that they want. And Cool. You know, that's kind of how I feel about folks who are cisgender. I'm not cisgender. I have no idea what that's like to just like be cool with 
the sex you were assigned at birth. That's weird. Like, okay, cool. I guess that's an experience people have. I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> um, I think that there are ways to do monogamy that are super healthy and ethical. Uh, I think that it's about, again, giving people choices and making it so that people can opt into what works for them rather than having an expectation that they will be a certain way or suffer, suffer social consequences or financial consequences or legal consequences. Because in Fuck for Forest, I learned that uh, you can't uh, judge other people's experience many times. Like, so what's something w- that one person like and actually would judge and say, like, no one would ever do this. So this person is probably controlled and manipulated. And as you learn the pe- person and you're like, no, that person is actually quite like have a very different relationship to their body and their view of how to challenge themselves. And that's why they, they're totally different than what you might think. So uh, to, to judge people's sexuality in a way, I see how many people many times judge pornography or something that's like, oh, I wouldn't do this. This looks uh, bad. So that's why I find it really bad. I will fight to make this not existing in the world. While you're like, yeah, but you don't know if they respected each other or not. They played a game. It's like sex games can go really in many different directions. And it's all about the respect of the people in the production. So we have such a easy to, to judge other people based on what, like I can judge monogamy because I feel like uh, I'm a polyamorous person. So I would be like, okay, monogamy is is bad for people or, but at the same time, I, I, I see that uh, I'm not successful in love either all the time. It's not like my uh, polyamorous friends found the meaning of life yet either totally. They don't know what the fuck is going on, just like, and I can see couples that claim to be happy. Uh, You don't know, you can't know what's going behind the closed doors. (laughs) And you don't know how much of manipulation with emotions people are doing. And you don't even know there are people that likes to be manipulated with their emotions and see it as some kind of interesting game in their relationship. These are people that don't want to be with a person that is not jealous because they feel that the relationship don't have the tension. Right. And, And again, like, I think that monogamy as a prescription handed down to us by culture is a problem. I don't think that monogamy is necessarily a problem all the way forever for everybody. Some folks like monogamy, it works for them. Great, cool. Uh, I would just ask that they do it in a way that is again, ethical, that is about negotiating with each other about what those terms actually are. I think that the biggest issues with monogamy a lot of times are that We make assumptions about what monogamy means. We make assumptions about what we can expect from our partner. And that's the same with any kind of relationship. So I have a question. As a therapist, have you ever turned down a couple because you don't think it's possible to save their relationship? So I, every relational group that comes to me that wants to work with me, I let them know at the start that like, there's no guarantee that this will mean your relationship continues, there's usually as much of a chance that the relationship ends as that it continues. Uh, So everyone who comes to see me as a couple or a triad or whatever already knows that like my goal is not to save their relationship. My goal is to be present to them and help them figure out what's best for them. Uh, I'd say that like most therapists probably see about a 50-50 in terms of who stays together and who splits up. And that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. That's just a thing. I think a lot of folks don't come to therapy until there's already like really big problems in the relationship. And that makes it a lot harder to be able to figure out how to restructure things or or fix things or patch things up to move forward. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I've never turned folks down because I don't think that their relationship will survive. I just am honest with folks that like, that's not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is helping you figure out what's best for each of you and for this relationship. And that may be splitting up, it may be restructuring, it may be staying together. So maybe it's good for like, when you get a new, get together with somebody and you want to start a relationship, also go to therapy directly in the beginning to build better. Yeah, if you need to learn, yeah, that's maybe a good idea to start sure. a little bit before instead of uh, taking it. As you said before, that many people have that problem that they build up all their frustrations and they, they can't hold it anymore and then everything comes out in the wrong way. So maybe yeah. we are all kind of re like wrongly educated sexually and about how to communicate in a relationship and we actually all need some type of if not therapy, maybe at least a group meeting with people that is interested in the subject to somehow discuss together how to, to communicate better and learn that we are actually, that is not about the need of the other person. That like The other person can't make you happy. The only one that can make you happy is you. And believing that other people can create that is uh, it's being lost in the world of feeling fulfilled because you never know when a person can leave you. It can be for other reasons also. A person might die. A person you li- love a lot. You have to learn to to to. I'm me. I can love myself. I I guess that's the that's the old thing. No, love yourself it needs to be implanted. Not be an egocentric asshole, but learn to love yourself. Because if you don't love yourself in a way that you know you can be on your two feet alone and be in that love without expecting that from other people, you can't really give that love to others. I think that you know. Should folks come to therapy at the start of a relationship? I mean, if you feel like in this relationship, this is something that you want to build, right? You want this to be something meaningful or deep or that is going to be long lasting in your life or where you want to be entwined in some kind of way. Yeah, go see a therapist or a coach or something and talk about like what relationship means to each of you. Talk about what your expectations are, how you communicate. Part of what I've been doing uh, in work on the book I'm working on right now about ADHD and sex and relationships is we're recommending folks work on developing like a user manual for themselves, where you go over things about like how you communicate and what your pitfalls are and what kinds of things you tend to stumble with and what works well for you. So that partners, as they start to get to know you, have a thing to reference about your own little quirks and, and differences that gives them the information they need in order to be able to succeed with you and to have a good relationship. Uh, I think a lot of us don't even know that about ourselves yet. And it's hard to communicate without that with someone else if we don't even know it. We need to know what what is weird about us or like what can cause problems for other people about us so that we can be honest about it and figure out whether we want to work on it and where we want to go with it. Now I'm going to ask you like something on the end here about the because I know that I have a lot more philosophy and understanding of the subject and how I can live it. You study this in a in a way of uh, psychology. And how is your personal relationships working out? Do you feel like you can help people better than what you can help yourself? Because many times I feel that many people have come to me and said I help them with their relationship. I teach them about free love. And then I see my life. Uh, I, I don't know if it's the universe that's seeing that, okay, this guy needs an extra challenge. So I put some extra heat on these relationships uh, for him uh, because I know what is right, uh, but I'm not all the time able to live it. Sometimes I can be communicating in a really bad way based on my emotions, based on feeling hurted or misunderstood or something like that. How is it for you? Uh, 
You know, I think I run into a few issues in my own like dating and relationship life. One of them is that when you're a therapist, unfortunately, a lot of folks who want to date you want you to be their therapist, but for free. Uh, and <laughs> really? the deal. They may not recognize that, that, what's hap- that that's what's happening, but I've had a lot of relationships that ended where what they needed was a therapist, not a partner. Uh, but they were kind of expecting to get a lot of those needs from me. And that's not what I want in the people that I date. Um, You know, this is something where I've worked for a very long time on getting better at these skills. I am by no means perfect at them, but I work very hard at them. And that makes me in some ways a very easy person to date and in other ways a very challenging person to date. It's easy to date me because I, for the most part, know where my where my stuff is, like where the stuff is that I'm not great at or that I struggle with. And I can tell you about it and be honest about it. And if you point it out to me, I'm ready to own it and move forward. However, I also expect you to be at much the same place. My tolerance level for your shit is lower than it might otherwise be. So folks who haven't done that work on themselves, who don't know how to communicate, who don't know how to be present, who don't know how to be in these kinds of dynamics, I reach a point where I'm like, I don't want to keep teaching you this. You need to figure this out on your own. Uh, Because like, I'm not particularly because I'm assigned female at birth and I was socialized as a woman in American culture. And in a lot of Western cultures, women are expected to be rehabilitation facilities for men. (laughs) And so when I date folks who are assigned male at birth, a lot of times they expect me to like help them fix their stuff, but that's literally my job. And I don't want to do it with my partner. Uh, So I run into a lot of things where it doesn't work out because I'm not in a space where I want to help them fix their stuff. I want to be in a relationship of equals where we meet each other, where we help each other equally, not where you have all the problems and I'm supposed to fix them. Uh, I'm uh, I'm like I'm in the opposite situation now because I, it's a, f- a friend of me to have a very sweet sister and he was part of our project and then she w- I flirted with her like four or five years ago and then suddenly she got here and she's studying psychiatry and she really I feel she want to help me because I have my down periods uh, with life and the world and what's happening around me maybe being too sensitive and she's like coming into me heal trying to heal me with her philosophy of life and she do she actually are able to and I, I feel I actually yeah sometimes we do feel a need of being taken care of no and you have this symbol of being the caretaker or the person that should understand and but uh, that's not maybe what you are searching for in that moment you know it's also about where we are in our life for me I'm just mm-hmm. super happy to uh, get a little bit of understanding and some person that actually want to listen to me and just give me some cuddle actually I need more cuddle now than I need sex <laughs> so I'm just happy when I meet someone that touch me in a nice way you know so that, just yeah. all that and I realized that that touch for me was so much bigger therapy than than uh, than talking to one to to some person could ever do for me but that's something also we can't expect and that's so sad we are so uh, distance from each other it's so easy to get into like that's only about sex you know in relationships and sometimes we just need a hug Sometimes yeah. we just need to fuck also. So it depends on the day, I guess. But we're searching for so many different things. Yeah, so that... But again, it's about communication, no? Yeah, that's what yeah, yeah. I want to say, that we have to learn to communicate. I don't think I'm that good uh, communicator that I actually th- thought when I talk to her now, she makes me self-reflect and I'm 
thinking, okay, I have to learn to talk to people more honestly. I think I've started to be more like that now. But then like, it's also like, you don't wanna, your, a relationship in the beginning is so fragile, you don't wanna scare the person away with your crazy ideas and your psychosis, so you try to make it step by step, but in the end it blows up in your face anyway in a much more violent way than you could ever expect, so. Well, because you're kind of lying though. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You're lying to yourself and to your partner by playing another person or playing that you are in another place. You're like acting out the best of you. That's why many times love makes blind. You know, my conclusion was that it's uh, not actually love that makes blind. Love connects and uh, and what makes blind is passion and desire. And uh, being attracted to someone makes you say and act in different ways just because you're too much in that sexual energy. And then I think people have to realize that that sexual energy is not comparable. You can't expect that you get a better relation or get a close relationship to that person. But I think that's what we're searching for is a close relationship to each other, but on a totally different level. And then sex and, and relationships have been merged together, as we talked about earlier before, that it's really important to separate those two worlds, no? Yeah, well, I think too that you know, the the urge that we have to be like a very particular version of ourselves early in a relationship is as much about the ways that we judge and shame ourselves as it is about what that other person would say or do. You know, I, growing up, my, my mom was not great. Uh, and as a result, a lot of the way that I tend to approach relationships that I'm working on is I want to like, show them that I'm worthy of their love and affection and like earn it by like doing a lot of great stuff for them and being like totally low need and like I'm fine and everything's great and you don't need to do anything for me. But what that does is establish a relationship from the start where I'm not a full participant, where it's about meeting the other person's needs and not mine. And so a lot of my work in the last several years has been about having more expectations from the person that I'm seeing early on and asking for more and making space for them to show up for me and trusting that if it doesn't work out, that's going to be okay. Not everybody's going to be a good fit for me. Um, I sometimes describe myself as a strong flavor. Not everybody likes strong flavors, but people who like strong flavors love strong flavors. <laughs> so I just need to find the people who like this flavor. Uh, and that's, that can be challenging and it can be frustrating sometimes, but I would much rather be honest up front. I would much rather from the start create the expectation that I'm not just there to service them than end up in this same pattern over and over of trying to like earn their love and be good enough for their love only to feel like I can't get anything back. So where do you find these people? Because I have a hard time to find people like this. Uh, I have a hard time too. Uh, it's rough. You know, the, the closest connections in my life these days aren't romantic partners for the most part. Uh, I have a lot of lovers who live all over the place, who we care very deeply about each other, but we aren't geographically close. And for most of us, the way that relationships work for our brains and hearts and bodies, long distance doesn't work super great. So we care deeply about each other. We're far flung. Uh, I have a lot of very close friends who are my community, who see me, who love me as I am, who call me on my stuff. Uh, also not particularly close geographically. Um, dating is hard because if I'm expecting someone who has done this work of getting to know themselves and building up their skills, just not a lot of people have done that. 
Uh, we don't live in cultures that make that easy for people or that encourage that particularly in people. And so it's hard to find people to date. Uh, before this pandemic, most of the people that I dated were people I met uh, through what I have called the slut referral network. So they were people who I met at sex parties or through lovers or partners uh, where we all kind of had an, a, like a, a way of just being like, oh my gosh, you haven't met this person. You should hook up with them. Y'all would have a great time. And that's how I would meet a lot of people who were from similar community of similar mindsets, that kind of thing. The pandemic makes that really hard. Yeah, but I, I think in the pandemic, we can still, I think it's really important to collect all these people on platforms so we can meet each other uh, internationally. If we want to make people understand uh, Polo Amorous uh, life a little bit better and maybe test out more in their relationship, it's important that the people that do share some of these ideas know how to find each other. So maybe this in the, in the pandemic time, we should all sit down and use the internet to connect and uh, network all these people so we can get stronger together. Together, no, then we don't feel so alone and lost because there's so many people out there that start and more and more every day that is waking up uh, thinking that they don't want to live in a relationship where they own or control their partner in any way and they want to uh, connect on a deeper level. And I think it's a very, very important uh, information to give to other people also. So th this is like a, just like uh, people in the women's right movement or gay right movement had to organize themselves and unify it to be able to spread this message if we do this with love. And love is an even deeper subject about it's something that touched everyone. So happy that we got to talk to you. We've been uh, missing someone to talk to about free love. Now we're sitting here in isolation and we're reflecting on our life and we needed to feel a uh, connection to someone and it was really yeah. beautiful to talk to you. So uh, is it something you want to say uh, in the end here, like some last uh, uh, reflection or statement about uh, what you're doing? Or we will, we will put all the links and all the uh, ideas about your project, your book and stuff, we will put down so the people who want to see what this beautiful woman are doing and how she is uh, approaching this subject of re relationships and free love and helping people with this, please go down and check out all the links uh, in the description of this uh, podcast. And uh, please, uh, if you have something to share with us now and the listeners uh, about this. Yeah, I, I would say that like the final message I might leave folks with is, again, it boils down to knowing yourself, being honest about who you are, communicating that clearly and openly with people, and trusting that the people who are right for you are going to find you eventually. Um, don't cut yourself into the shape somebody else wants. Be the shape you are. Just like be who you are and trust that your right people will find you. Um, in terms of like following up with my work, uh, I have a Patreon that I'm working on trying to build. We watch parties where we watch some kind of movie or show that has to do with love. And all of my patrons can join me and we can talk about it together and see these little glimpses of love and connection in a time where a lot of us are super isolated. Uh, you know, for me, I have a very tender heart. I love love a lot and I live alone and have no current romantic partners. So watching some cheesy love movies gives me my like little jokes of romance and love that I need. But then I will give you a suggestion also. We are here for you. So we have our little uh, magical place in the mountains of Mexico. Anytime you feel you need some love, you can come and visit us and we will do our best to make you feel loved. You are more than welcome Thank to you. come and experience 
experience our ecological project. And if you want to send us some naked photos or some sexy <laughs> stuff, you will get the free access to fuckforforest.org. And if you, you don't want to do it, maybe you have some kinky friends that would like the idea of Fuck for Forest, and then you can mention it to them at least. Uh, anyway, you are more than welcome to come to enjoy our ecological project here in Mexico. Like, nature is... Uh, the reason why we have sex, so no nature, no sex. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on our show. Continue to have a amazing free love birthday. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you. It was great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bye. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I feel... I think I should have got the therapy from the beginning, maybe. I think all of us should have got that from the beginning uh, in this world now to, to release children out in this world without some kind of personal couch following you around to balance out your craziness and uh, explain you about simple facts of life that your parents were not able to explain you about. I think um, we all need it. I mean, we are forced to go to school. We are forced to do so much things. So why are we not having this? therapist also and why don't we learn about self-pleasure or different ways of uh, of pleasing each other outside the family structure and outside the normal like institutionalized uh, relationships why don't we learn about this because pleasure and sexuality should kind of be kind of top level on learning about life i mean i know kind of who can blame Catholic Church, the church. Thomas Steiner, no, no. They also in, invented uh, a lot of like torture, SM uh, games and uh, tie up and spanking and stuff. A, a lot of that comes from the Catholic Church. So we have to thank them also for, for putting more like darkness into sexuality and make people have to like beat the devil out of each other to get that orgasm they were dreaming about. As long as they got the orgasm, who cares how they got it? No, who fucking cares, man? Uh, well... Hello, thank you all listeners to listen to us on our podcast. We're super happy for that, that we have a special thank you to our two listeners from Saudi Arabia. Wow, thank you for coming here for a little bit psycho-education about uh, sexuality from many different fronts to please each other in the best and most uh, conscious and communicative kind of way. Anyway, so uh, to all of you out there, um, also in Saudi Arabia, in all countries, in the most suppressed to the most uh, open, we all need to get that orgasm somehow. Or therapy. So until we find that perfect therapist to give us that very special orgasm, Continue to have a great birthday. She was earnest. She was serious. She just really wanted to know anything I would tell. She was curious. She was incredulous. She was searching for her truth, wondering if it would include. She is a seven-year-old woman on a quest to find out if she's in the closet. But first she must know the science behind the show. She says, how do lesbians have sex? She asked me, how do lesbians have sex? She understood how two guys do, but how do lesbians have sex? She threw me off in disbelief. Surprised to hear those words requesting adjectives and verbs. I said I need some time to think. So I ran through my head
ask me, how do lesbians have sex? She understood how two guys do, but how do lesbians have sex? So I thought it all through, decided that I must answer and not put it off. understood very well how two guys do, but how do lesbians have sex? It might sound funny, but really it's kind of creepy. How do lesbians have sex? One more time for good measure. How do lesbians have sex? One, one more time for fun. How do lesbians have sex?